It's a new year filled with new unknowns. We're coming off yet another season of uncertainty. A year, if we're honest, filled lots of us with fear. We've allowed our eyes to drift and wander. So God, as we head into this year, fill our eyes with wonder. May we focus on the things that you care about, not on our shoelaces. Remind us of Hebrews 13:6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So with Jesus interceding for us, what can come against us? When his joy comes new every morning, what is left for sadness to claim? If nothing can separate us from your love, then what room does hatred have to take hold? When you make known to us the path of life, how can we ever lose our way? If you uphold us with your righteous right hand, how can we be afraid of falling? God, we commit to lay our plans at your feet once again, for you know the plans you have for us. So as we go into this new year, we will focus on you, God, because what can man or our careers, our schools, our families, our thoughts, our doubts, our fears, our insecurities, what can any of these things do to us? Nothing, because our trust, our faith, and our hope are in you, God. I said earlier, I'm not used to your schedule up here. I'm downstairs with your children and your grandchildren every week because I love it there. If you are in worship their way, if you're up to fifth grade or below fifth grade, I want you to come on up front. And while they're doing that, um, God's given me an, an ability to animate Scripture to a way that our children understand. When you come up front, have a seat right here. If you're in the back, I see you. Come on down. Remember back in February, we went through the armor of God? Now, in Valley Christian School, they're going through the armor of God as well. Uh, last month, I saw our pastor uh, talk about the sword of the Spirit. Uh, downstairs, I have some plastic armor. Are you with the kids? Pastor Dave brought three real swords. And as he's talking, he's standing in front of the kids about right here, and he's waving his sword back and forth like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Dave, there's a three-year-old right here. He's reaching up, trying to grab one of the swords. I'm going, my pastor's going to whack one of these kids here. I can't believe he's doing that. Now, he doesn't do children every week like I do, so I know I need to step back. Now, I've brought something with me today, and it's not a sword, and I'm not going to swing it in front of anybody. This is an anchor for my boat. I can 
if I'm wanting to maybe eat my lunch while I'm on the boat, I can throw this anchor out. And if I pull it tight, you see how these wings, it will dig into the what's on the bottom. I can secure it to the boat. And it will hold the boat in place. Unless some big wave comes by from the back, it could lift us up and we could move. Come on in, guys. But I don't have one anchor on my boat. I have two anchors. I have one that I use off the bow. Who can tell me where the bow is? Front of the boat. You're so smart. Yeah. That's a smarty there. Okay. But I also have one at the stern. Who can tell me what the stern is? Sonia, you were the first one up. The stern. The bow's at the front. Where's the stern? Tell me. It's at the back of the boat. Thank you. You're so smart, man. I could put one in the front, one in the back, and guess what? It's going to hold that boat in place most of the time. Sometimes an anchor can break. If these wings broke off, and all I have was this piece of metal, would that very well hold the boat? No. But this is made out of some tough steel. I'm pretty sure this is safe. Do you know that it's regulated, it's mandated that if you drive or operate a, a watercraft on the boat, on a lake or a river, you have to have one of these. You know why? Does anybody know why you have to have an anchor? Okay, tell us it, Lily. Okay, is it a safety? Is it a piece of safety equipment? Yes, it is. There you go. All right. We have an anchor, but not like this anchor. We have an anchor that is so strong, nothing, no matter how big the waves are, how strong the wind, nothing can cause it to fail. Do you have an idea what that anchor is? Caden? Is that? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, man, I like that answer. There you go. Jesus is an anchor for you and me and for all Christians, all believers. We have to put our hope in Him. You know, we sing our song, the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, right? The devil doesn't want you to believe that Jesus is so powerful. The devil wants you to believe that if he makes you hurt enough, if he causes enough pain, that you're going to let go of Jesus. Now, as long as this rope is tight and it's secured to my boat, it's pulling against what's on the ground, right? But if it's loose, it can come loose. It can fail. The anchor that I'm talking about, Jesus, never fails. Are you sitting up straight? Hands folding left, being quiet and still. God wants us to put our hope into Jesus no matter what. No matter if you're hurting, no matter if someone you know is or you are sick, no matter what we face in this life, we have to always put our hope in Jesus. Now, we're not down in kid zone, and Bob didn't even sing Who's the King of the Jungle? Okay. But we're still here. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lily. It's one of my favorite songs, too. 
But we're here. We're going to worship Jesus with your parents. And I want you to do me a favor. I've got enough smarties for everyone here. But when you go back to your seat, I want you to make sure your parents are paying attention. That they're hearing what Jesus wants them to hear. If they nod off, just kind of you know, give them a nudge, okay? All right. Everybody, now you haven't got a smarty. I want you to come right here. There they are. Make sure everybody grabs one. And go back to your parents. There you go. Did everybody get one? Mm-hmm. Did, did you get one? one? Okay. All right. And for those of you kids who didn't come forward, you just missed out. All right. <laughs> this morning, we're going to continue our last message on hope. As I was preparing for this message, I read an article. Some didn't come up, that's all right. I read an article by Chuck Swindoll. I'm going to read it to you, just the introduction. Of it. He says, I was on a phone call I never will forget. It was from a young woman whose life lay shipwrecked on the California beach from where she was calling. She had a terminal disease, leukemia. Her husband had left her. Her child had recently died at only two and a half months old. Her friend had just been killed in an auto accident, wave after wave of loss crushed this woman's spirit. She couldn't take another day of pain. In a whispered tone, she told me, Chuck Swindoll, that she held a loaded revolver and wondered why she shouldn't use it to end her misery. I'll jump ahead. At the end of the article, Chuck Swindoll explains how he showed her who our real hope is. Put the gun down and embrace Jesus. That's awesome. But you and I face storms all the time. Storms that challenge us. Storms that push our faith to the limit. Hope is the one thing you and I cannot live without. As I thought about that, I remembered in 2006, going with this church down to St. Louis, uh, Bay St. Louis, uh, Mississippi, after Katrina. Uh, We did Bible school in the morning, and then we went out and we did work crews. The crew I was on, we were ripping down sheetrock and putting up new sheetrock. Every night we came back and we talked about what God had done through us as we ministered to these families. And I had to talk to Rick Teeters, because I remember this back in 2006. I I didn't remember the whole story, so I had to ask him to tell me it again. He took his crew to whatever house they were working on. There was no place to park the bus. So after dropping off the kids, he had to drive the bus up a little ways and park the bus. And as he's walking back to the house... There was a woman that was watching him. And as Rick is walking up the street, she came out there and asked him, are you working at that house down the street? He said, well, yes, I am. He goes, are you a Christian? He said, yes, ma'am, I am. She began telling her story. 
She'd been living in a FEMA trailer for over a year. She explained to Rick of all the problems that she had, everything going on, and explained that she had lost hope. Well, Rick went back to where he was working. He went and found uh, Dave Trowbridge, and they put together a crew, and they, whatever the need was at that house, they put a crew there to work on it, to get it fixed. Later on, Pastor Dave was involved, and um, uh, whatever the, the need was, they took care of it. It was a great way to be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody who was hurting. Well, that night when Rick was telling us, he told us that a human, a healthy human, could, could last maybe four weeks without food, maybe a week without water. A human can last between four and seven minutes without oxygen. But he told us that if you don't have hope, I don't give you one second. Because hope is what sustains us. But trying to hold on to hope can take all of your strength and my strength, particularly when hope, enemy, doubt, drags you to despair. Some of you have been there. When you're in despair, logical thinking will not help. You'll exhaust yourself trying to sort out God's reason for allowing these bad things to happen. Even if you could fathom despair's depth, you could still be lying in the same hospital bed. You could be standing by the same grave. You could be sitting in the same home all alone. Your head might hold some answers, but your heart would still be aching. You need more than logic when you're sinking beneath the waves. You need something solid to hold on to. What can you hold on to when life storms come crashing upon you? What do you hold on to? I told you that doubt is the enemy of hope. You remember the story after Jesus feeding the 5,000? He sends the disciples in a boat, go ahead and cross the Sea of Galilee, go across the lake, and so I'll join you on the other side. Jesus goes up into a mountain, he'd be alone to pray. And these disciples, and some of them are, are expert fishermen, they're crossing the lake. And a storm comes up. Now, a few years ago, my family and another family were in my boat, and we were on a lake, and a squall came up. Water was coming over the bow. I said, we need to get back to shore. We turned the boat around as we were heading back to shore. Water is blowing into the boat all the time. The, water, the boat is filling up with water. And as hard as we're trying, and we have that engine down as fast as it'll go, we're, go, we're going against the wind, we're not making much progress. I gave someone else the steering wheel, and I said, look, I'm going to jump over the boat. I jumped over the side. We are about 25, 30 yards off shore. I swam to shore. I got on the beach. I ran up and got my van, backed my trailer down into the ramp. And I'm looking at these waters. They're no longer this high. They're about this high. I'm like, this is bad. 
as my family tried to get the boat in, on the ramp, I told everybody needs to get off the boat. Everybody's in the water. We had to hold the boat from smashing on the rocks on the inner side and get it on the ramp. As fast as I could, I hooked onto it, cranked it up, and I drove it out. I thought about, you know, I understand how these disciples felt. These disciples were expert fishermen, but this storm was so bad, they thought they were going to die. About that time, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. They think it's a ghost. And Jesus tells them, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Peter alone stepped out of that boat, stands on that water, and starts walking towards Jesus. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he's looking at the waves and the strong wind, he began to sink. And then Peter utters this most magnificent, probably King James prayer, says, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out his hand, grabs him, picks him up. But Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. Doubt will cause us to let go of hope and cause us to sink deeper into despair. We need something to hold on to when life storms come crashing over you and I. The question is not what do we hold on to, but who do we hold on to? Caden, you answered it correctly. Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20. Verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, because God wanted to make an unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God not only gave Abraham a promise, but he also confirmed the promise with an oath. When a witness in court is about to testify, he or she is confronted with the words, so help me God. We call on the greater to witness the lesser. There's no one greater than God. So he swore by himself. Not only did he make a promise, he swore that it's going to happen. This promise was not only for Abraham. He also had given this promise and an oath to the heirs of the promise. Abraham and his descendants are the first of these heirs, but all believers are included as Abraham's spiritual seed. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, he says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's in verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled take hold of the hope that is set before us may greatly 
be encouraged. God's promise and God's oath are our guarantee and assurance. He says it is impossible for God to lie. If you've not underlined that or highlighted that, you probably need to do that. In worship their way, kids, if I said, can God tell a lie, what would you tell me? Can God tell a lie? If it's in the Bible, it's what? All right. God cannot lie. He says, we are to take hold of the hope. That word take hold means to firmly grasp so that we may be encouraged. He says that we are to take hold of this refuge. Referring back to the cities of refuge back in the Old Testament, uh, found in both Numbers 35, verse 9 and following, and Joshua 20. There were three cities on the west side of the Jordan River and three cities on the east side of the Jordan River. If you accidentally killed somebody, you could flee to one of these cities. You would present your case to the elders of the city, and they would investigate. If they found out that the murder or the, the, the death was manslaughter and not murder, you could reside in one of those cities. The family of the slain could not take vengeance upon you. You had to stay in that city until the high priest died. Then you could go back to your home. We have fled to take refuge in Jesus Christ. He is our eternal refuge. And as the high priest, he will never die. No avenger can touch us. Not even Satan. Without the permission of God to test us, Satan can't do that. We are to take hold of this hope offered to us so that we may be greatly encouraged. Hebrew is a book of encouragement, not discouragement. We're going to look at the next two verses, verses 19 and 20. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Now, I write all over my Bible. I had to borrow this Bible from Pastor Dave because I have two Bibles. The cover has come off. Uh, some of them that were supposed to be my preaching Bible, I can't read from it because it's covered with notes and stuff. But I would highlight that we are to, hold, we are to have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. One of my volunteers downstairs asked me a few weeks ago, who is Melchizedek? Well, if you go back into Genesis, you read how Abraham offered, uh, gave, gave Melchizedek an offering. He was both king and priest. Jesus is the king of all kings, and he is our high priest. We have this anchor, Jesus, the anchor of our soul, the hope we have. Now, I have a picture 
of anchors that were found in the catacombs underneath Rome. There are over 66 carvings into the stone of an anchor. Now, I know some of you on your vehicles, you have a symbol of a fish, right? Symbol of the Christian, right? Well, the symbol of the anchor in the fish was the first symbols Christians used to identify themselves. You see this one? You have the anchor and the two fish on either side. It's when we hold on to Christ as our anchor, He gives us a hope that is not ever going to fail. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God, our Savior, and uh, of Christ, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Throughout Scripture, Jesus is designated as our hope. However, this anchor is different from the anchor of ships. For one thing, we're anchored upward to heaven, not downward. We are anchored not to stand, but to move forward. Too often when those storms come, when that loss engulfs us, when that pain is so traumatic, we get stuck in that storm. We think we can't go on. We're not to allow that storm to keep us tethered to our feeling of loss or suffering. Our anchor is firm and secure. Though my anchor here is made out of steel, there's a little pin that goes between and holds that, uh, the fin uh, to the pole, and it can break. But Jesus, as our anchor, will never fail. We can always trust him. The writer then clinches the argument. He says that Savior is our forerunner who has gone ahead of us to heaven so that one day we may follow. The Old Testament high priest was not a forerunner. Nobody could follow him into the Holy of Holies. If you did, you'd be dropped dead. But Jesus has gone to heaven so that one day we may follow. The night before Jesus was arrested, the last few minutes of Jesus' time with the disciples, he told them, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Boy, that's an assurance. That's a hope I hope I never let go of. You might be sitting there and say, Pastor Michael, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what storm I'm facing. If that's what you're thinking, you're correct. I do not know. Jesus knows, but Pastor Michael may not. I do know that the storm or storms that you're in right now that are crashing upon you is in the Father's hands. Saturday when we were in the emergency room with my mother-in-law, having to pick this woman up who couldn't move her legs, couldn't move her arms, head hung over, had to pick her up, put her in the vehicle, take her out of the vehicle, put her in the wheelchair, brought her into the emergency room, 
thinking, does she have any hope? Is there any chance that she's going to survive? I had to go out in the waiting room, and a while later, my wife and my father-in-law came out, and I heard the story that while they were back there in the room with her, the doctor asked, do you want us to do any heroic measures to use CPR if her heart stops? My father-in-law didn't answer. My wife and I already knew how we would have answered. We knew what my mother-in-law would desire. So the doctor said, let me explain it to you this way. Do you want me to jump on your wife, crack her ribs, and put her in a lot of pain in order that you might have a few more minutes with her? Again, he was slow to answer. The words finally came out that she'd want to go peacefully. He said, okay. They came out and they're telling me that. I was like, wow. That gives me a perspective of where she's at right now. So we waited for hours. I left to go get something to eat and bring it back. When I came back, my father-in-law was gone. Well, what has transpired? I said, well, have you admitted my mother-in-law? Well, yes. So I go back home, and I find out that they've been giving her antibiotics. They determined there was an infection there and giving her fluids, and they were beginning to see progress. I don't know how many more days my mother-in-law will have on this earth. None of us do. God knows. I pray for her that when that time comes, that she will be able to pass peacefully, that she will have the hope of eternity with Jesus and will be spared suffering on this earth. But I'm not in charge. I'm just a man. God is. I, too, am facing a storm. I've never considered that Joanna and I would ever be in this situation. Perhaps the hardest thing a parent can face is see their child walk away from the faith that they were raised in. This will be the first time I've ever shared this publicly. The elders and staff have been walking with me on this journey for the last seven months. July 8th, I received a text from my son that he no longer wants to ever have contact with us again. We do not know where he's at or what he's doing. His sisters and his brother, they are in contact with him, but he's also told them that they're not supposed to tell us. I never want to sever the relationship between my son and his brother and sisters, so I don't press them doesn't mean my heart doesn't break. For the first three, four weeks afterwards, I even told the elders that I was brokenhearted. I didn't know what to do. I want to share with you three things I have learned. First one, never stop praying. I think about Winston Churchill during World War II, I think it was in 1941, during the Battle of Britain, and Germany's bombing Britain nightly and daily. The people were at the, their end of their rope. Winston Churchill made a 
famous speech from his former school. He said, never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. I said we are supposed to never give up praying. James chapter 5, verse 16, says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you believe that, that should bring you to the knees constantly, continually. No matter what that storm you're facing is, we need to pray. Every morning I wake up, I go out in the living room by myself, I open my Bible, and I start spending time with my Heavenly Father. As I'm reading Scripture, I start thinking about, where's my son at this point? I don't know. So as I read the Scripture, I start personalizing it and putting my son in place of what it might say. And I pray this back to the Father. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. I might say, lift my son out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Set my son's feet on the rock and give my son a firm place to stand. Jesus taught his disciples the model prayer. Matthew 6, 13. Lead my son not into temptation, but deliver my son from the evil one. Then we have the shepherd's song. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though my son walks through the darkest valley, help my son to fear no evil. For you are with me, my son. Be with my son. May your rod and your staff comfort my son. Numbers chapter 6, the priestly prayer. Lord, bless and keep my son. Lord, make your face shine on my son. Be gracious to my son. Lord, turn my son's face back towards you and give my son peace. My prayer for the last seven months is that, God, that you will draw my son back to you. The second thing I learned is that I don't ever give up. The second thing is it takes time, patience, and persistence. Psalm 27, 14 is a memory verse downstairs says, wait on the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait on the Lord. Holding on to that hope that my son will come back to the Lord and to Joanne and I. May not happen in my lifetime. I might never see that, but I can never give up. I have to wait and wait on the Lord, be persistent, that is the key. The last thing I've learned is no matter what happens, no matter how immature I think his reaction is, I have to love my son unconditionally. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never fails. I can never stop loving my son, even though... When Joanne and I talk about this, we pray that she gets emotional, rips that band-aid off again, and there, there's that open wound. And I want, why is he doing this to my, my wife? Why is he not coming back to Jesus? I don't know. But it's going to keep Pastor Michael and Miss Joanne persistent. 
to keep us praying and keep us loving a son that chooses not to love us any longer. I'm going to close with the words of a song. You know I don't sing, so Bob, he sings. So I asked him yesterday, Bob, do you rap? He explained to me that he doesn't rap, neither do I. But I can read the lyrics. Toby Mac wrote, wrote the song. It says, last night, put the heavy on me. Woke up feeling lonely. This world's got a way of showing me. Some days it'll lift you up. Some days it'll call your bluff. Man, most of the days I ain't got enough. And all I know is you're my only hope. When I'm up, when I'm down, when the wolves come around, when my feet hit the ground, I just need, I just need you on my darkest days when I'm losing faith. No, it ain't going to change. I just need, I just need you. Lord, I need you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me when I'm, when I'm beat down broken. Hold my heart when it's split wide open. Turn these eyes to my soul protector and break this will of this born defector. Because all I know, all I know is you're my only hope. When I'm up, when I'm down, when the wolves come around, when my feet hit the ground, I just need, I just need you. On my darkest days when I'm losing faith, no, it ain't going to change. I just need, I just need you. Lord, I need you. We pray. Daddy, Abba Father, you know our heart. You know when our heart is breaking. I thank you that you heal the broken heart. God, you are our only hope. Father, help us as the writers of Hebrews says to hold on to that hope like an anchor for our soul. I pray for all of us here, those that will listen to it on uh, the internet later on. Father, you know the storms that we're facing, just like the disciples. You don't want us to doubt, but to have our hope firmly and settled in you. I pray for all my brothers and sisters, the boys and girls here, that, Father, we learn to trust Jesus no matter what, to let, never let our hope fail that we might be encouraged that we are in your hands and that you have us even in that storm. Just like Peter, you lifted him up out of the water and asked him why he doubted. Why was his faith so little? So, Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, increase our hope in you that others might see Jesus lifting us up out of the mud, out of the mire, and that he might be carrying us through whatever storm we're facing. Father, we tell you we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us enough, not only to allow Jesus to die for us, but for Jesus to sustain us when we think we can't go on. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.